Amen. I'm so glad you're here on this Lord's Day, and I want to say thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, or go to our Ingleside app and hit the notes button. You can follow along there as well, as today I share a message entitled, When We Look at the Cross of Jesus, What should we see? Now, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to offer a warm, warm welcome to those in our contemporary service today. I'm really glad you're here, as well as those who are joining on TV and online. I'm really glad that you're here this morning as well. Now, I want to ask you two or three questions as we begin today. They're not intended to be trick questions. I just want you to follow along with me and see if you get the gist. Uh, is it possible to have a banquet? If it, is it possible to have a banquet if you have no food? What do you think the answer to that is? The answer is no. Is it possible to have an orchestra if you have no instruments? What is the answer to that? Well, the answer is no. Is it possible to play golf if you have no golf ball? The answer is no. Some of us cannot play if we do have a golf ball. So, I mean, let's just go ahead and stipulate that. But are you tracking with me? You know, a banquet requires uh, food. An orchestra requires instruments. And playing the game of golf requires a golf ball. Now, the thesis, the big idea of today's message is you can't have... Christianity, orthodox, biblical, saving Christianity without the cross. If you take the cross out, then by definition, you have something else. So this morning, what we've really been praying as we have sung together and now as we open the word together is the Lord's going to help us focus on and understand the message of the cross. We're looking at it from Luke's gospel, chapter 23. So if you have a copy of the Lord's word, I hope you will turn there. Why the gospel of Luke? Well, that's where our chapter a day readings are. And if you're not in that journey yet, I hope you'll pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to join in with us as hundreds of us are reading the Lord's word every day. Now, as we think about the cross and Jesus' death on the cross and what we should see whenever we look at it, I think it's important for us to remember the first two messages in the series. Here they are in brief. Two weeks ago, we learned the doctrine of the incarnation as we looked at Luke 1 and 2. Now, just see the bullets. They're on your outline. I think they'll be on the screen. What did we learn? We learned about Jesus' identity in person, that he's uniquely the son of God, that he's the promised Davidic Messiah King, that he was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. And how did the apostle John put this truth? He said in John 1:14, do you see it? And the word, the eternal Word who was with God and was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's Jesus' person. That's who he is. The rest of the story doesn't make sense 
unless you get that first part. Then last week, write it in on your outline. In week two, we learned that Jesus is our example. He is our example of complete obedience to the Father. And so as we've been reading through the chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we just see that reflected again and again as he calls disciples, as he teaches, as he models obedience, as he serves. And we're making our way now all the way this coming week. We're going to read about Palm Sunday, this day in that Holy Week calendar, when he comes into Jerusalem and they say, Hosanna, Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they throw palm branches and coats down in front of him as he rides in on a donkey. And so Jesus enters the city, but you know where that journey is going to lead. It's going to lead to betrayal by Judas. It's going to lead to arrest. It's going to lead to a sham trial. And then eventually to crucifixion. Now, I just want to say that in Luke 23 today, we're going to read a longer passage of Scripture than we usually do, and we're doing that on purpose. I'm really praying today that you will engage the words of Scripture with me and allow the power, the message, the biblical presentation of what occurred at the cross to impact your heart, your mind, your soul, and your spirit. Before we're done, I'll highlight four or five things that we should see. And then at the end of our service today, we'll do what Jesus commanded us to do. And we'll take the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup together. So are you ready? Let's look at Luke 23, beginning in verse 26. Here's what the Bible says. It says, as they led him away, led Jesus away, They seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross. Now, Cyrene is probably in North Africa, in Libya, the region around the city of Tripoli. This man had likely come to Jerusalem, a Jew, to celebrate the Passover. And now he's conscripted out of the crowd to carry the crossbar, 30 or 40 pounds, you say, why, why wasn't Jesus able to carry? Well, he had already been beaten and flogged and scourged and the blood loss was great. And so his strength had been weakened. So Simon the Cyrene is carrying the crossbar of the cross and he carried it behind Jesus. And verse 27 says, and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, in other words, Jesus is saying, if they do these things to me now, What will happen when it is dry? What will happen when the judgment of God comes because of those who have rejected me? Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. 
And what was Jesus' response as he was nailed to the cross? Jesus said in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's really remarkable that our Lord is modeling for us the kind of forgiving spirit that we should have, even toward those who might harm us. It says that those who crucified him cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers, and they just scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him some sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they also put an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. They were mocking, but the inscription was right. Jesus was the king who was giving his life for his subjects. In verse 39, notice the conversation at the cross. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal on the other side rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. In other words, this one criminal says, Look, you and I deserve to be here, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then with remarkable faith near the very end of his life, this one criminal says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a reminder to me that it's never too late. I don't know how long you've lived or how near death you think you are, but the Bible here is teaching us it's never too late to call out to the Lord And say, Lord, I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want you to rule and reign in my life. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I love these words of our Lord. He said to him, truly I say to you. It's a way of underscoring the veracity and importance of this statement. Truly I say to you, today, not a thousand years, not at the end of the age, but today, he says, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in the presence of the Father. Today, you will begin to experience eternal life. Listen, it tells us something about what we should anticipate if we are Christ followers on the day we die. In that very moment, we'll be ushered by angels into the presence of the Lord and we'll begin to experience the glory of eternal life with him. Boy, that's good news. Well, look at verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, that's noon. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two It was a signal that the old covenant is done. All the animal sacrifices are over. The new covenant has come. There's a new way into the presence of the Lord. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Again, Jesus is our example here because what is he doing? He's teaching us every day. If you read through Luke carefully, you see it over and over again, this relationship with the Father. It's as if 
In fact, it was a fact that every day that Jesus lived, he said, Father, here's my life. I want to do your will. I want to please you above all. We ought to do the same. And when the day of our dying comes, we will not have to be afraid. We can say, Father, I have lived for you. I trust you. And into your hands, I commit my spirit. And the Bible says, and having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion, that's the Roman soldier, the captain of the soldiers there, saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that as a symbol for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance. And what were they doing? What were they doing? They were watching. They were looking. They were surveying. They were taking it in. They were watching what took place when Jesus died on the cross. That's what I want you to do today. I wanted you to allow God's word to help you watch and to see and to survey and take it in and as a result to be transformed. So when we look at the cross, what should we see? I want to give you five things that the scripture tells us because it tells us what we should see. Um, now, this won't be a comprehensive look at what the scripture tells us we should see. It's impossible to do that in just a few moments. But at least these five things the scripture says we ought to see when we look at the cross. Here they are. You ready? Got your pen in hand? Let's write them in. The first thing the Bible says we ought to see when we look at the cross of Jesus is we should see God's love for us. God's love for us. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's not the only place. Look on your outline. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. I want you to read verse 8 aloud with me. Would you read it aloud? Let's read it aloud. It's on your outline. It's on the screen. Everybody together. It begins, but God shows his love. Man, when we look at the cross, this is what we're supposed to see. Let's read it together. Here we go. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whatever else you see, when you look at the cross today, you should see the love of God reaching toward you and me to redeem, to forgive, to rescue, to save, even, even while we were still in rebellion against him, God reaches toward us in great love. The second thing we ought to see, write it in, is we ought to see the seriousness of our sin. The seriousness of our sin. You really don't understand the cross unless you see that 
Jesus was paying the price, uh, taking the punishment, dealing with sin. The book of Hebrews teaches us that in a variety of ways. Look at it, Hebrews 9. It says, but as it is, he'd appeared once for all at the end of the ages. Why? Why did Jesus come? Well, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hardly a clearer statement in the Bible about what Jesus came to do because our sin had separated us from God. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he'll appear a second time, but not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let me give you two or three other things we ought to see. We ought to see God's love. We ought to see the seriousness of our sin. Number three, write it in. We should see the ransom. That's a great biblical word, the ransom being paid that secures our release. You know, it's really important to use biblical words in biblical ways to describe biblical truths. And the way Jesus describes his death is this. Look at it, Mark 10, 45. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Here it is. And to give his life as a ransom, as a payment for many. Jesus is paying the price that secures our release. Here's the fourth way we ought to see the cross. Write it in. We should not only see God's love, the seriousness of our sin, a ransom being paid, but we should see God's wrath being absorbed and turned into favor. The key word here is a biblical word, propitiation. It appears several places in the Bible. Let me give you one in Romans 3. Look at it. It says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Here it is, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. In other words, when Jesus died and shed his blood, he was absorbing the wrath that was due to us and turning that wrath into favor. And how do you receive that favor? Look at verse 25, to be received by faith. This was to show what God did at the cross was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I want you to think with me a moment about what's going on here. God is saying, I love you so much. I want to save you. In order to save you, I, 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 need, to, I need to take care of this sin problem the sin has to be paid for, and so there's a ransom payment made. The punishment, the wrath, has to be absorbed to be turned to favor. In other words, forgiveness is offered to us freely, to us freely, but on the basis of Jesus securing that forgiveness 
through the pavement on the cross. You know, it's it's a thought sometimes we overlook, but I think it's an important one that whenever forgiveness is offered, somebody's always got to pay the price. Isn't that right? Do you all agree with that? That uh, whenever forgiveness is offered, somebody has got to pay the price. Um, Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Let's say you're shopping, and you know there are different kinds of shoppers. Today, I want you to think with me about tactile shoppers. Do you know what a tactile shopper is? Uh, A tactile shopper is a person who needs to touch whatever it is that they're shopping for. If you're just in a store, you just watch them. I mean, they'll move through a clothing store and they'll go to this rack and feel the material and that rack and touch that and over to touch a sweater and touch that. They're just shopping through their fingers. They are tactile shoppers as they're moving through. You go into a a store store that has gifts and knickknacks and plates and cups and saucers and china and figurines and all sorts of precious little doodads that are easily breakable. And that is danger land for a tactile shopper, I'll just tell you. Because as that tactile shopper makes their way through, they just can't help it, man. They got to pick up that plate or that saucer or that cup or that figurine. And, and sometimes, and, and by, well, and sometimes what happens to the tactile shopper? Anybody here know what sometimes happens? Yep, you got it. They pick it up, they're looking at it, they're thinking about it, and they drop it. And when they drop it, it breaks, and it can't be put back together again. And so the shop owner comes over, and what might the shop owner say? The shop owner might say, did you see that little piece of paper right over there? A little piece of paper is born of experience, it's folded, it has some words on it. It says things like, do not touch. And over here is another place that says, you break it, you bought it. So, come on over here. You need to pay before you leave. Or that shop owner could come over and say, ah, I know you didn't mean to do that. You're just a tactile shopper. (laughs) I know you didn't intentionally avoid those little signs I've got all around. And you know what? I'm just going to forgive you. I'm just going to say, look, don't worry. I hope you come back. I hope you shop here again. Um, You don't have to pay. I forgive you. That's the way I would want the shop owner to treat me. But now, wait a minute. In that second instance, who pays for the broken merchandise? The shop owner does. Comes right out of their pocket. Somebody always pays when forgiveness is offered. Always. And the good news of the gospel is that instead of God's wrath and punishment and penalty being visited on you and me because of his great love and mercy for us, Jesus paid the price so we could be forgiven and free. That's the heart of the gospel. So last of all, write it in. We should see Jesus. 
dying on our behalf in our place as our substitute. What should have been due for me, he took. See it in Isaiah 53. He was pierced, not for his own transgressions, but for our transgressions. He was crushed, not for his own iniquities, but for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us uh, has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, in 2 Corinthians, it capsulates this truth in one verse. For our sake, this is at the cross. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it this way. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So do you see what was happening at the cross? When your eyes are really open to it, when your eyes are really open to it, your heart is moved and you go, wow, I should have died there, but Jesus died in my place. I'm gonna love him, I'm gonna trust him, I'm gonna follow him, I'm gonna obey him, I'm gonna live for his glory. I am going to follow Jesus by God's grace because of what God did for me through Jesus at the cross. What it means is we, we value, we cherish what God did at the cross. You know, this week as I've been meditating on these scriptures and preparing for today, there's been an old hymn. I learned it as a child. It's just been running through my heart and mind. Some of you will know the words to it. Others of you may hear them for the first time. I think they are beautiful words. They describe Something of what I hope happens for us today. Do you know the words? It says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cherish the old rugged cross and exchange those trophies one day for a crown. Do you cherish the cross and the Savior who died on it? Oh, I pray you do. And if you've never trusted him, I hope you'll trust him today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to meditate and contemplate and think about what you did for us when you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. 
I want to pray now, O Lord, for everyone who's in Christ, that you would increase our gratitude, our love, our devotion. And I pray that some today would say, O Lord, please forgive me. I trust you. I am giving you my heart and life. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, thank you for hearing that kind of prayer. Thank you for doing what you did for us at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.